Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sunnable Grace Podcast, where we exist to go deeper with the Sunday message and build a bridge with our church family to connect in intentional community. I'm here with my two favorite pastors. I'm Dave Holmes, the Reverend Dusty Stirk, the worship leader extraordinaire, and I'm your host, Tony Meltenberger. It's such a great day. Episode two, week two of the podcast. Dave, welcome. Thanks for I'm being so here today. I'm so excited to finally be here. I'm sorry I could not make it for the first one. But I can't believe you left that to us all I, by ourselves, man. <laughs> somebody had to go to Florida and deal with board meetings. Since that's what I did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, one of the ways that we always like to start the podcast is with uh, kind of a, a weekly recap. Like, what's one thing that you're learning, one place that you're seeing God? What, what's, uh, what's been going on in your life this week? That's a great question. I would say this week was a really great week of uh, being part of our fellowship of churches, and we are uh, a network of churches that are like-minded, and um, it's being a part of our, the, the board of the Karis Fellowship is just um, gets you insight into, man, uh, what God is doing through our fellowship, and it's pretty exciting. So, yeah. When you leave, does your wife ever say, it's easier with you gone? No. No. <laughs> She tells us. She tells okay, us. I'll say it. Not to my face, but maybe other people. Yeah. No, my wife has said that to me before. Did your wife ever say that? Um, she hasn't to my face. Okay. No, but what, she's kind enough to not say things to my face that she tells other people. I just mean like in the sense of like when I'm gone, she just knows what has to be done and does it in a different oh. way than when I'm here. Yeah. Now it's a lot different now that our kids are older. That's yeah. the thing. Like we got young kids, so there's probably like, you know, if she's like one on two, that's just not a good ratio there. Everything goes wrong when I'm gone. From bats in the house to tires being flattened, it's you know. Did, was so, there were there any problems this week? Uh, sickness mm. and some uh, job related subbing things for Beth. Oh, yeah. fantastic! Yeah, so I can't leave. Sorry, Beth. Yeah, sorry, Beth. Uh, Dusty, what about you? Weekly yeah. recap. Uh, I was really excited for uh, if anybody was at church yesterday here at Centerville Grace. Like we just had a great service where the spirit was moving in a neat way. And we get to see people work on, you know, some moments of contemplation and reflection and just trying to experience God in all the ways that he has for us. But, you know, that's corporately. Personally, man, I've just been really geeking out about this whole idea of waking up at 5 a.m. lately. I haven't done it yet, but I like the idea of it. It's a but good idea. I'm hoping this week we're going to actually start to implement that and get some good daily a disciplines 5 in there. Yeah, uh, the 5 a.m. guy? No, no. Six, 5.45 is my earliest. I get up on Saturday mornings. Or Sunday mornings, sorry. 5.45 on Sunday morning? Yeah. I'm an early guy, so I, I like to get up about five. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I'm trying to actually bump it back to 4.30. Oh, that's that's still nighttime. Like That's not morning. That's still night of the night before. That is still night. There's an exercise class that I really want to get to that starts at five. Good luck. <laughs> good luck. Uh, my week has been good. I, I got to preach this weekend, which is always so much fun and such an honor to, to do with our church family. And then... In addition to that, I uh, went with a, a cohort of people to Arkansas for a couple of days to learn about house churches and about how God is working in that kind of movement and uh, don't have any plans to do anything with that information yet, but kind of just praying through the opportunities there, trying to be take that posture of lifelong learning as yeah. something that I know all three of us really like to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So the text from this weekend comes out of the Gospel of Luke uh, we're in the fourth chapter. If you've been following along with our sermon series, you know that we're going through Luke. Dave, how long do you think it's going to take us to get through Luke? Uh, we planned on doing Luke all year. All year. So, so yep. you can just go ahead and put a marker in your Bible for the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this weekend, I got to cover Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. Dave, would you go ahead and read it for us? Yeah. 
It says, starting in verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he began to teach the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his message had authority. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, ha, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. When the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew he was the Christ. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So what's interesting about this text is that there's so much much. there, so much there. And so Dusty, I'm going to ask you first, when you uh, are forced to... not forced. When you get the opportunity, I didn't mean. I didn't mean forced. You, you get the to opportunity to, 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 to preach uh, on a text that's that um, wide. That that's deep, right? How do you? Where do you start with um, what you're going to actually tell the church family? Oh man, it's really hard. I mean, first of all, hopefully, and I'm sure I know it's true with this table at all of our. Uh, texts that we preach on begin with prayer of like just asking God, okay, what would you have me pull out of this? Because if you've ever heard a really um, expository preacher, right, they can take four words or five words, you know, part of a verse and build an entire message around that. And scripture is dense, right? Scripture, you can read the same thing 50 different times and pull away 50 different things. So what I'm looking for first and foremost is, okay, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me in a text like that? And I'm hoping that's a cue for maybe, hey, this is something that God's called me to bring to the church. Because if it's important to us, you know, we, we preach from experience. And a lot of time, that's how we preach transparently, right? It's like, this is something that I struggle with in my own life. How can I bring this to our church community mm. and make it beneficial for everybody? Dave, what about you? Yeah, I look for themes um, after certainly after prayer and meditation on it. Um, reading, I like to read different translations uh, or versions of of the translations of English. Uh, but I look for themes. I look for things that uh, that like, for example, like Luke is really trying to pull out. Uh, and uh, if you see something repetitive in the in the text over and over again, um, I think that's something that. Luke is clearly trying to communicate, hey, this is important, that I'm willing to point this out multiple times in multiple ways. Um, and then building um, off of those themes of how they connect to where we're at in life and felt need and then going to the application. So uh, lots, like you said, there's lots from this text to pull from. So it's rich. It's, it's, it's a rich. Target rich environment for it sure. Is. If you were going to preach it, what what were some of the themes that you would call out or I mean, obviously, you, you got to hear my message. If if you haven't heard the message from Sunday, we suggest you go check out our YouTube page. That's where all of our messages live. That's the safest place. Also on our Facebook page, They're, uh, they live in both of those places. But you heard my message. I, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Uh, what would you have kind of pulled out differently or 
um, or some of the things that resonated. Yeah. Uh, well, I think you nailed it with identity, right? This is Luke's, and this is really going to be Luke, all of Luke. His his identity is being questioned, and actually, in this passage, is affirmed by his enemy, like like the evil spirits right. are affirming who he is, and everybody else is questioning. So that's interesting to me. Um, and so that you nailed that one. I think uh, I would have definitely hit that. Um, to me, when I see this, um, you know, here's the crowds gathering and, and pressing in on Jesus in a way and wanting more of Jesus. And um, so I would be looking at maybe um, just the kind of the more. This is maybe more Mark, but the suffering servant of Jesus, where he's he's constantly being asked to give more of himself to the people. And he can't get away. Like they're always like trying to find him, and you know. So uh, that's really good. Uh, yeah, definitely dealing with healing, and this is what we're going to get into a little bit, I think, later on. But yeah. healing, and uh, obviously, Jesus has the authority to heal. He has all authority in heaven and earth to do and to rebuke demons and to rebuke yeah, demons, right? Um, and so, what does that mean for us? Wrestling with that a little bit, yeah. Dust, as you uh, as you take a look at the text, if you were going to preach it, what were some of the things maybe that resonated from my message or that you would have kind of called out to? Yeah, I, I concur with Dave. I think um, you know the the calling is kind of the meta narrative there. Like Jesus was always uh, you know following his calling and his identity. He knew what God what God was desiring for him to do. He knew when to you know rebuke demons. He knew when to move on to the next thing. He knew when to turn away from people that said, "Hey, there's still work that needs to be done here," and continue to do what God was calling him to do. But like the three words that kind of come to mind that whole passage is, you know, it's calling, it's authority, and it's identity. Mm. And you spoke really, you know, uh, broadly on the identity piece. And that's something that I just think is so visceral for us to understand is that when we live into our identity and we have that rooted in God, that our lives completely change, right? We, you know, people that struggle with purpose and struggle with, okay, what am I doing uh, every day with my life. We had that conversation over lunch just a few minutes ago before we came here where we're talking about, you know, if, if you feel like you're just living day to day and you don't know what God's calling you to and you ask yourself, what's my purpose? A lot of times that's indicative that we're not really living into the identity that God's calling us to, or maybe we're just not seeing parts of our life that God's blessed us with that, you know, we could be, I don't know, doing better. Like, you know, sometimes God calls us to very simple things, but we miss um, a really good, op- like God opportunities within that. I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I think it does. I, I think one of the things that's interesting about that is that like, um, we, we are going to miss some opportunities, right? So, mm-hmm. so let me, let me volley it back to yeah. you. What do you do when you miss a God opportunity? What do I do? Well, it depends if I'm aware if I missed a God opportunity, <laughs> I guess. Dang it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know, you know, if, if, like usually if, if I feel convicted about something that I felt like, okay, you know, I really felt like God was calling me to this and I missed it or I didn't have the courage to obey, yeah. you know, like, okay, I really felt like I should have walked over here and said something to somebody because there was something there that I felt God calling me to, but it's like, oh, that's socially awkward and that's going to make me feel awkward. If it's both awkward, then, you know, I'm just going to be uncomfortable. And then that's something I ultimately have to release to God and hopefully keep praying about that and getting better at that in my life to just being obedient because obedience to me is at the very bottom of of calling an identity. It's like, are we willing to obey what God has for us so that we can live according to his purpose and not our own? One of the things that I really wrestle with this message is the idea of authority and and not Jesus's authority because that, that was never really questioned, but what's my authority. And 
Dave, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this. Mm. As a as just a, a normal, average, everyday Christian, maybe even subpar Christian some days, um, but where does my uh, authority come from to do the Jesus stuff? Yeah, I think it begins and ends in Jesus' authority and what he's given us. And um, this is a question that I know I've wrestled with over the, the years, um, especially with um, maybe people coming in our church from other denominations and other backgrounds and having a different kind of take on authority and you're talking the, like Pentecostalism kind Pentecostal, of that kind of that yeah. charismatic out you know or yeah. like yeah. in Jesus's name you know like the name and claim it yeah yeah kind of idea um, yeah you know in the past uh, I've been kind of pressed by by certain people and. Um, I know, in particular, one one person um, was really pressing me for a while on this, and I just felt like for them, I would call it the authority gospel, where um, they they felt like uh, they had all the authority that Jesus has and could do everything that Jesus did um, because the authority has been given to them to cast out any particular illness or disease or you know sickness. And so, um, so I call it the authority gospel because um, it's, yeah, just because they have all they have the authority that Jesus has. Everything that Jesus has is now ours. Is what they they're kind of thinking. Um, and it's it's a tough one. It's, it's a, a, tough it's a little bit more nuanced. It's than very that. nuanced. Yeah, right. right? Like it's part of me wants to agree, and a part of me wants to go, ah, but not. Not to that extent. Like there are, it's just tough. So wait, you're saying that um, you've got a master's in divinity. You've been a, a lead pastor for how many years? Seventeen years here. Seventeen yeah. years here, and you still struggle with tension of theology around God. Uh, is that hard to believe? Yes, uh, I certainly do. But uh, I actually <laughs> think it's so reassuring, don't you? Yeah, like right. for me, like I, I struggle with this kind of stuff too. And uh, you know, I've been in vocational ministry for ten years. Dusty, you've been in it for 17, 18 years. Yeah, like, you know, uh, clearly he's the oldest of out of all of us in ministry years. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know about that that either. (laughs) Again, I try to, I I always try to live in the framework of the text, right? And, and, you know, what does the text say and what does the text not say? And, and sometimes, you know, arguing from silence is not a good idea, you know, but it's, it's what you see in the text. And so what we see in the text is Jesus giving the authority to the, uh, like the 12 start yeah. with to go out and do exactly what you were saying. Like the, those three things you see later on in Luke that, that Jesus gives, I think it's in chapter nine. Um, yeah, he sends out the 12 and it's go and you have the authority to drive out demons to cure the diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. Right. right? Which is what I said this weekend, exactly right? Exactly. Like, those three. Go be a vessel so that you can uh, make people, you know, help people be well, free the oppressed and proclaim the kingdom of right. God. And then uh, the very next chapter, he sends out the 72 to do basically the same thing, Yeah. right? Um, and so the question is, uh, when, when the Holy Spirit comes in Pentecost to all the believers, and is that meaning now they have the same authority that Jesus gave his 12 or the 72 to do all those things and more um, in a way that they have, it almost feels like though people just have 
it's their will, not Jesus's will, I think is the difference in some some of these cases where it's like, well, it's my will now that I have the authority to do it and I can go cast it out, whatever, whoever I want, you know, whenever I want. Um, and there's it's a spectrum too, as far as beliefs on this. Sure. So I don't want to like put anybody in one box, but uh, I don't know. I just, I don't see that early on in the church though, when you get to after Pentecost, you see the apostles certainly healing um peter james paul you know and then paul later on but you just don't hear a lot of reports that the believers are doing this like just the normal average day believer going out and doing these miraculous signs so um that's the challenge for me within the text and i know it's an argument of silence they could have been doing it and just wasn't recorded but um so yeah i've heard it i've heard it said that like well, it was just part of the life, the Christian life, and so it wasn't necessarily recorded. As some of Paul's letters, especially, were written to for corrective action. So we don't, we don't need to correct the things that are going well, right? Like and that's kind sure. of a, a tentious point, right? Right. Um, so, so this is a great opportunity to kind of jump into our theology around healing and this kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And and l- let me just give this as a disclaimer. Theology is best done uh, around disciple-making relationships. And so if you're not in a relationship with someone where you can have these conversations in a safe way, then let us know. We would love to connect you with someone who can have some of these dialogues. Um, I think the worst theology is theology that's made in a vacuum. Yeah. And so um, there's one of the reasons that I love our church is because we're a disciple-making movement and so theology is really well done in disciple making. And this is kind of one of the tools that we're trying to give you in these part of discussions. So uh, healing theology, where are you at with it? Well, and then you have the whole gifts of healing versus people who don't, you know, have that gift. So um, why give a gift if it's if all Christians have that authority anyways? Is that fair? Yeah. Now I come from a little bit more of a charismatic background. Right. So, okay. So, so, this, so yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's gifts, and then I would say offices, right? An office is someone who is like known who who God uses as is that vessel for frequently, right? So the office of prophet, the office of healer, like in, in you kind say of those are offices. Well, I would say that there are people who do these sort of things that God uses to do these sort of things. To be clear. I believe that God uses us to do it, not uses us as a vessel, a pass-through almost, right? That God's doing the work, and God is the one who's the active healer. So I just want that to be on the record and clear. (laughs) Because, again, these are nuanced conversations, right? And so so like I have prayed over people to be healed, Yep. and I have seen times where God has healed people. And and I have seen times where he hasn't. Right. And I don't get to decide which one's which. And I think I think that the, even just the posture of prayer is so much different than some some other things that I've seen and heard about. Right. As far as like just again walking up and going, you're healed, and like I have the authority. Yeah, to like do the that. Benny Hinn stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, like and uh, versus, and I think this is I, I so appreciate this was recorded in the text when when um, the one demon possessed boy was not being healed by the disciples. Yeah, because he says this kind of of. Can come out only through prayer, prayer, right? And I love that because it's like, oh, he's our like again going back to need. He's 
he, we need him to do this. It's not like the posture of prayer is, is always about need and submission and recognizing who's in charge and what our, what our position is underneath God. And so, uh, the idea of praying for people, I'm all about praying for healing and praying. This is James chapter five, call the elders and they could pray for the sick and be healed. But the whole name it, claim it, just, I have the authority to walk up to anybody and just yeah. release them from any sort of ailment. I really want to pray with belief and maybe less so with authority. Yeah. And and again, this, these are, our English words are not great for the text because the text has been translated so many times, but like I pray, every time I pray for healing over someone, I believe that the Lord can do it if he wants to. Absolutely. Right. And I don't begin to understand why the Lord doesn't heal people. Absolutely. I want everyone to be healed. And yeah. so- yeah. And even in our house, if my kids don't feel well, I will lay hands on them and pray over them and ask for God to heal them in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. And right. and sometimes they do feel a little bit better, and sometimes they don't. And I don't get to decide how that works. Right. Right? So maybe belief is better than authority. Oh, I definitely like the idea of belief way better. Now, there's there's tension with faith, too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because how many times... Oh here we go. Do they have the faith to be... Oh, yeah. my goodness. I, you know, to me, that's one of the great tragedies when people are blamed for their illness because they didn't believe enough. Mm. And yet in the text, we know Jesus went to towns and didn't do healings because of their lack of faith. Yep. And there's a tension there that I don't want to try to resolve here on this podcast because I can't. I, I, yeah. Nor do I think we should, right? Like, yeah. I, I mean, Dust, jump in here. What do you yeah. think about you, where's your theology at with all this? How do you wrestle with it? Yeah, I mean, agree with you both. There's there's definitely a tension there. And I'm I'm okay with some mystery about God. Like, I really am because as much as I like theological constructs, I'm always okay with there's ways that God works that I'm just not quite savvy enough to understand. Right. Mm. And I think it's okay because we're, we're man, we're human. God is God. You know, how can the mind of a human really fully understand the mind of God? But I believe we have everything needed to understand what we need to propel our faith forward in God. So like to me, it it almost bleeds into what our theology is on prayer in some way, because, you know, if you pray, just praying for somebody, so take the, take the authority piece out of it. Just, okay. It's, I feel called as a disciple of Jesus to pray for this person that they may be healed and they are healed. Okay. The, you know, ultimately why were they healed was because my prayer was the right words and I was of the right faith and it was powerful and it worked through them. And ultimately I would just say it's, it's all God at the end of the day. It's what are we called to do in faithful response to what God's telling us. So if, you know, if I'm called to pray for somebody and through God's will, they are healed. It wasn't my prayer that healed them per se. Yeah. You know, I think it was, there's part of the obedience to God that plays an active part in that. But whenever we see, a miracle happen, whether it's a miracle of healing, whether it's we see how Jesus did miracles, there's this breakthrough of the kingdom of God into our world, right? When Jesus did a miracle, that was breakthrough of the kingdom of God. So when he tells us, you know, how should we pray, you know, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, I believe that that's an illustration of what our role is and how we help God partner to bring that kingdom forward. So it's, it's a muddy answer. And I don't know where I fall in terms of who has the authority to pray. I, I will always try to err on the side of if I feel compelled to do it and I feel like God's telling me to do it, I want to be obedient to that. I'm not in control of the outcome. I don't think I personally have, you know, I, I have no healing power clearly in and of myself, you know, nor will I ever. But 
if God chooses to use us, God's, God partners with us all throughout scripture. He says, hey, I don't need you, but I'm going to use you because that's part of my plan to partner with you know, my creation. And that, that's where it gets a little bit muddy. Like I just always want to be obedient to do what God's calling me to do, but I hesitate to almost draw lines on where my own theology ends when it comes to healing. Mm. And it's a non-answer, like, but on purpose. Yeah. That was the most dusty answer ever. It was. It's a good one. It's a good dusty answer. A purposeful non-answer. There we go. And I'm just okay with it. I, 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 let, let me let me ask you guys this because this is as I was wrestling with the text, I wanted to spend more time here in the message, mm-hmm. but it just didn't feel. Well, there just wasn't enough time. Just not enough time. Not there's never enough time. Um, how important is where Luke has this placed? in the life of Jesus, right? And, and so one of the things that I'm working through personally as we study Luke's Gospels, I just really want to know, I want to know the book better than what I do, right? Like mm-hmm. a, a friend of ours, Justin Gravity, who's a friend of the church and um, I've known for years, he's always challenging me to, to like, hey, could you drop into Jesus's life like you could your favorite movie mm. and know what was coming before it, what was coming after it, and quote a few movie lines in between, right? Like, and so as I was looking at Luke's gospel from that perspective, I was like, okay, we're dropping into Jesus's life here in chapter four. He just got done with the prophet. Uh, you know, prophet is not honored in his hometown in the first half of chapter four. He's getting ready to call the disciples. Is there intentionality, do you think? And this isn't a fair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is there intentionality that Jesus healed, um, healed the sick and you know, cast out demons and proclaim the gospel before he ever called his first disciple. Yeah, I think you were trying to make maybe make this point. Yeah, it was just like a sub point. Like it was like a passing sub of a point, sub right? Point. Like yeah, yeah. Like hey, this is what you're getting involved with if you're following me. This is this is this is what you. I think you said the 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 plays that we're going to run. Yeah. Yeah. Which I like that analogy. This is this is the playbook. It was Super Bowl Sunday. Yeah, that that worked. Very nicely. Uh, absolutely. Like, and again, a few chapters later, I mean, this is Jesus says, hey, you guys are going to go do this yourself, you know, without me, in a sense. I mean, he's always going to be with them, but, right. you know. Um, and so, yeah, I think anytime you look at a gospel, especially, you know, especially a gospel, which is a narrative, these guys are packaging this. Um, they don't think as linear and scientific as we do in our modern day thinking they're they're writing this as a as a story with themes and mm-hmm. and they have incredible t- again obviously the holy spirit is writing through them and working through them but they're, they're packaging this because they have a point or points to make i mean john's absolutely clear in his point at the end of john he says i'm writing this so that you may know that jesus is the son of god and so his his point's always about the divinity of Jesus. Um, and Luke Luke is the same way. He's writing this with themes and intense, intentions um, throughout. And so, yes, he's setting us up to understand. He's grounding us in Jesus' identity. He's grounding us in Jesus' authority. Um, he's, he's grounding us in what it means to do what he does and be like him. Mm. And I think it's it's brilliantly written to the point where I would I would say how could you not see this as inspired yeah. right like and inspired yeah man yeah. but uh, yeah so absolutely Dusty I wanted to ask you about the mother in law okay. part of the text right and so let me it says Jesus left the synagogue and he went to the home of Simon 
-hmm. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. There's so many parts. You could do a whole sermon series, I think, on this part of the text. Oh, yeah. Um, what's your, what are your thoughts on Jesus rebuking a fever, first of all? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it just, to, to some degree, it just makes me uncomfortable because it's like, okay, I, I don't see myself going out and rebuking a fever, you know, even one over, of my kids. Or, or your mother-in-law. Or my mother-in-law. God bless her. <laughs> <laughs> we love our mother-in-law. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, 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 I love yeah. my mother-in-law. There's a lot of people that wouldn't do that for their mother-in-law, even if they could. Right, so. sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. That's a really hard one for me. Do you think there's any significance in this for either of you? you think there's any significance to uh, that Luke points out that as soon as she's healed, she began to wait on them? Like... It's humorous, I, I, right? It, it's That's, humorous, but I, I wonder... Like, I, I didn't have time to really study it, but I wondered if, if there was like... Hey, after I was healed, I went back to worshiping or, or like serving or like my, what God's called me to. I, am I reading too much into the well, text? I see this as as Luke's creative way of saying full restoration. Like mm. she got back to what she would have done before the fever, before the sickness. Right. This was this was her innocent role of serving the household in that time and day, and and Jesus doesn't do a partial healing where she's slowly getting better. She's immediately healed and immediately going back to her former life. So I think that's powerful of complete healing. When Jesus heals, it's complete healing. And the only time we don't see that is with the man who's blind and Jesus heals and he partially sees. And that's that's a whole nother reason why that happens, but that's for later on. Uh, but I think that's just, again, the authority, the power of Jesus. If he's going to heal, he doesn't do a half job. He does a full job. I love that. Yeah. That's yeah. really well stated. Yeah. That's that's worth the whole podcast right there. Great. <laughs> uh, I, I There's another part of the text that's kind of assumed. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think I know we're all in agreement about what it means, but it's uh, verse 42 in the text. So it says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him. And when they came to him, he was uh, there. He they came to where he was. I should put on my glasses. They tried to keep him from leaving. Yeah. Um, what's the assumption about what Jesus is doing in that solitary place and the importance of it? Yeah, this is, I think this is one of those really key, subtle points that Luke is making for us that all this, this is a, this is all the Power, this is the story of power struggle. Like these are powerful beings facing each other, right? You have these powerful demons causing powerful ailments, and Jesus comes along and rebukes them. And there's a, there's a power struggle here, not really struggle, but there's an exchange of power. And where is Jesus getting his power? Uh, it's through the Holy Spirit and time with the Father in the Aramos, the the wilderness, the solitary mm. place. And at daybreak, so at the very beginning, we talked about 4.30 in the morning. I imagine that's probably the time that Jesus got up around that time. Yeah. And he spent, he spent his first and best time with the Father because it's going to be another draining day on him. He is, it's going to be, people are going to be looking for him and bothering him when he's trying to get alone. It's intense for him. And he's, he's knowing that and he's getting ready for the day. Dusty, anything yeah. to add there? No, I just, I think that when you look at the life of Jesus, 
there's just something so powerful in the fact that even Jesus himself knew of the importance of spending time with the Father. And, you know, Jesus was God, and we can get into all kinds of, you know, Trinitarian theology, but it's, it's you know, he was illustrating just the fact that he had to have close communion to his Father. And if Jesus had to spend, er, you know, every day in solitude and just praying and just being with God, I think that tells us that not only should we be doing that, if Jesus couldn't even do what Jesus did as God without doing that, then man, we're at a giant disadvantage when we don't spend time with the word and when we don't spend time with God and really work on our relationship. Hmm, that's so good. Yeah, I wouldn't say just a need too, as I think about it. I, I imagine this was his favorite maybe part of the day I, I, with I, the father, right? As I read it, it almost feels like his like water. Yeah. Right, his daily cup of water. Yeah, like this is where I'm going to serve from, and like, mm, yep. I, I like that. Um, I don't know that in my own life that I've ever felt like if some someone I really struggle with someone pulling me away from my quiet time. Mm-hmm. I I love my quiet time, mm-hmm. but I don't mind being distracted. Yeah, and you can almost see in the text. I think Luke is painting this picture of the anguish that Jesus has of being pulled away from the time with his father. And when I pray through the text, sometimes that I, I pray for a relationship with God like that. Yeah. I think that's where your point was need and relationship, the connection there. Yeah. And the more that we see a need to that person, the more relationship we're going to have with that's that person. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. I don't know if you guys remember, do you guys remember the little pamphlets? I think they still make them. They were called the daily bread. They were like, little yeah, oh, yeah, you still make them. Yeah, you can you still get them. Yeah. Can you still get those? Our right, yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. So we had those at, at the church we went to when we were kids. And I used to think like, man, what kind of cheesy title is it to call something my daily bread? And you just get used to seeing them all the time. But thinking back to Jesus, us again, not to overemphasize the point. He, that was his manna. That was what mm. Jesus needed just to start the day every single day. Without that, there was no life to be lived. And that's a challenge for me because I'm obviously much worse at that than Jesus was, but I needed <laughs> right. 10 times more, uh, right. you know, a thousand times more than Jesus did. Right. Uh, okay. In just a second, guys, I'm going to get your final remarks, your takeaways from today's episode. But before we do that, I just want to remind you now is the perfect time to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, If there's someone in your life group, if there's someone in your world that you're discipling who would benefit from hearing this episode, maybe somebody who's wrestling with their healing theology or wants to live in the tension of what it means to commune with the Father on a daily basis, do us a favor, share this episode with a friend. Anything you can do to get the word out is such a compliment to us, and we're forever thankful. Okay, uh, final remarks. Dusty, we'll start with you. Closing thoughts, takeaways, what you got for us? Yeah. Uh, I want to go back to the very first point that you kind of brought up that, you know, theology shouldn't be done in a vacuum. And I think when we look at conversations like this that require a lot of nuance, uh, you talked a little bit in the message yesterday about your identity. Uh, one of the best ways to find your identity is in the context of community, mm. right? That's how the early church operated going all the way back, you know, to the old Testament. That's how the Israelites were treated as a community in the way that God dealt with them. There's so much to our Christian walk, especially when it comes to difficult theological topics that are meant to be, uh, brought up and researched within the context of community. So I just keep going back to this idea that, you know, as I've been discipling a couple of guys, we've been talking a lot about individualism and this idea of rugged individualism, because that's kind of how we're, that's how we're brought up, you know, especially in Western Christian ideas in the United States. And like, I would love to get back to the idea that we can have conversations like this in the context of safe community. That's one of the things I most appreciate about this church is that you know, it's, it's to provide a safe community for us to wrestle out stuff. And it's not, it's not about where you have to land on the subject. It's about, 
you know, what is it that we are called to do for one another, to hold each other up, to hold each other accountable so that we can really work out our faith with fear and trembling before our God. And I think, you know, with brothers and sisters in Christ is the only way that we can have those kinds of conversations. That's really good. I would say for me, my final thoughts are around this um, need for God. You know, you talked about it the in the sermon um, the week before, but I just I just always want to be in a position of need from the Lord uh, because I know that will keep me close to Him, and so um, that solitary place that Jesus mentions or that Luke mentions where Jesus uh, goes to in Luke four, I, th- I think that's such a beautiful position. And so um, I just want to keep encouraging all of you to lean into your need and lean into what it means to to need the Lord and really humble yourself in that position with open hands, on your knees, on your face, on all the places, and just be needy for God. Yeah, I'll piggyback off. I think I have two in my head, so I'll piggyback off yours first. And I, Luke mentions they asked, when they went to the Simon's home for the mother-in-law, they asked Jesus to help her. Mm. Um, they asked. Like, they didn't they didn't assume that he was going to do it, nor did they say, well, he's, you know, he's probably tired and, you know, and he doesn't want to do this anymore. But they had the boldness to ask. So um, that's our posture of need of asking Jesus for help. And um, you can't go wrong with that. You can't go wrong with that. And then as you as you were preaching on Sunday, I was thinking about the, the word blessing, how Jesus was a blessing to all these people. Mm. He blessed them, um, which is, you know, when you think of the chaos of the fall and the breaking of shalom, the peace, um, Jesus is restoring that, you know, um, little by little here, he's restoring and blessing people and how we can be that blessing to people in all kinds of various ways. And um, I think the more we do that, the more we do what Jesus did. Well stated. Good. Friends, that's our podcast for today. So incredibly thankful to be in community with you. As always, if you have any thoughts, if you have questions, if you want to dive into the text or you want to shoot us a thought, you can email us. Dusty, Tony, Dave at centervillegrace.org, any one of our first names at centervillegrace.org, or hop into the Facebook group. It's a great place to continue the conversation. We're thankful for you. Go and make disciple makers.